So we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is not news to most of you. Um, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 6, and we will pick up where we left off last, last week. Jesus is preaching. Um, he's come through. Uh, um, we just got finished talking about the Lord's Prayer. This section of the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about practicing righteousness in front of others. Uh, and he says, don't do it to be seen by others. Because when you do it to be seen by others, when you practice righteousness to be seen by others, then you have your reward. Amen. So we pick up in verse 16, and he says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting, or that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but, that, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So I want to linger this morning on that last, that final statement in verse 18. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we've gone through all of these things about practicing righteousness um, the point of all of it is that in doing your good deeds, and we've covered all that, in doing your good deeds like giving to the poor, as we see in verses 2 to 4, uh, going to God in prayer in verses 9 uh, through, or excuse me, 5 through 14, and then, uh, you know, in our private acts of righteousness, we talk, where we just read about fasting in verses 16 through 18. The point of it all is to do it for the glory of God and not for the glory that comes from man. Not for our own glory. So if in any of these things, in doing these things, practicing our righteousness, we seek our own glory, our own recognition, then that is our only reward. Amen. That's what Christ says when, in each of these examples. That's what he says. Don't do this to be seen by others. They have <clears throat> their reward. And that's, that's the only reward they will get. There will be no reward from the Father. And, and with each of these examples, uh, giving sacrificially to others, prayer, communicating with God, fasting, seeking the will of God through the affliction of the flesh, he says, don't do it to be seen by others because then you won't get a reward from the Father. Amen. So it, it seems to me to be pretty clear that Jesus intends for us to be motivated by reward. Do you see that? He intends for us to be reward, motivated by reward, not, not from man, but from God. Amen. Seek the Father's reward. Rewards that come from the Father, not the rewards of man, not the rewards of this world, but the rewards that come from heaven. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 17, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. So we, we could reverse that and, uh, logically and say it in the negative, that every, uh, there is no good gift, there is no perfect gift that does not come from the Father. Amen. So if you want a good and a perfect gift, you're going to have to get it from God. Because no good or perfect gift does not come from God. Everyone comes from, from God. If you want a good gift, if you want a perfect gift, you've got to get it 
from God. You have to seek it from God. You can't get it from your spouse. You can't get it from your job. You can't get it from your children. You can only get what is good and perfect from God. And it's clear that Jesus intends for us to be motivated by this desire to receive what is good and perfect, to receive reward from God. We're supposed to be motivated by that. Don't let Christians tell you that you should not seek your own joy, that it's selfish to seek your own joy. It is not, provided that you seek your joy in Christ, my joy in Christ. In fact, that's what Jesus says. I tell you this so that your joy may be full. I'm telling you all of this towards the end of his ministry. I'm telling you all of this about life and living and God and godliness and all of this stuff so that your joy may be full. I want you to be joyful. Amen. There's reward in doing what is right. He says, do you want, do you want to get rewards from God? Is, do, do you want rewards from God? You, you can't have rewards for God if you seek rewards from men. If you go after the praise of men, you will not get rewards for God. You will only get the praise of men. Why would you go after the feeble and fickle and temporary approval and praise of men who are just as feeble and fickle and temporary as their approval when you, would you not rather have something that is permanent and solid and secure from God who is permanent and solid and secure? Steadfast, immovable, eternal. Those are the words that we use to describe God taken straight from Scripture. So doesn't it come down to a question of treasure? It really comes down to a question of treasure, doesn't it? What do you treasure the most? What is the great prize of your heart? We should all be examining that on a daily basis, probably on a minute-by-minute basis. What is my treasure? What is the great prize of my heart? You know, Paul said, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God. That was his prize. Amen. Amen. That's what motivated him to get through everything was the prize that he had in Christ. Jesus told us that the praise of man is not something to be treasured, to be prized. We, we shouldn't seek it. We shouldn't go looking for it. Instead, he said that we should practice our righteousness in, in a way that is, that is humble and that does not seek the attention of men. We should practice our righteousness towards the glory of God, for God to receive glory and for God to receive praise. When you practice righteousness in a way that gives glory to God alone, of course, by definition, you're giving glory to God alone. You're not receiving the glory. You're not going to be noticed about by what you did. People aren't coming up to you and patting you on the back and saying, thank you, how wonderful it was for you to secretly help that person in need. Amen. If it's secret, then nobody knows about it, right? Amen. So you're, by definition, you're not getting the praise from men. You're, getting, you're giving glory to God. Amen. So when you practice righteousness for the glory of God, your reward comes from God because He sees what is done in secret. So Jesus tells us to treasure the glory of God, to seek His glory when practicing righteousness, because when we do, He rewards us, not man, but God. I can't emphasize that enough. Isn't that what He says in verse 18? And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
You know, that is the basis that Jesus gives us. That his, that's his, his logical basis, the, the basis of his argument for not doing things for the praise of man, not doing things to be seen by men, but doing them to be seen by God. The basis is that the Father sees in secret and rewards you. That's the basis for, for not doing your, uh, your praying, uh, making a show and a performance of it, for praying humbly. The basis is that in verse 6, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's the basis for helping others who are in need. That's a, uh, verse 4. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you, helping them without making a big show of it. Jesus is talking about rewards and receiving rewards, isn't he? So then what kind of reward do we receive? Now, I ask that question because it's important that we approach the Bible with context in mind. Um, you know, you, context really matters. Um, there's an old saying in the real estate business that, uh, let's see, it's a pretty complicated statement. It goes something like this. Location, location, location. You can have the most beautiful house or the fanciest building and you can have it in the worst neighborhood and you'll see the value of that building or that property just plummet through the floor. Amen. On the other hand, you can have a, just a rundown shack on a piece of postage stamp size property in the middle of a, you know, just a booming commercial district that's just being highly developed and all kinds of new stuff going in, and you will see that property value go through the roof. Amen. People suddenly find themselves sitting on a million-dollar property that you wouldn't have given two cents for 20 years ago. They wouldn't have been able to give it away 20 years ago. It's the same thing with uh, the same concept with context in the Bible. Instead of location, 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 it's context, context, context. Context is key. You can't build our lives around these little snippets of Scripture here and there. I've told you before, the Bible wasn't written in a vacuum. I mean, it's all connected. The Bible itself teaches us that, that we have to take the whole counsel of God, not just little bits and pieces here and there. Because if we don't take the whole counsel, then there's so much room for error. Amen. Just like with real estate, you know, you might look at a single piece of property today, and if, if you don't have any way of knowing what's going on around it, let's say you just find an online listing and you see just that property, you might assign that property a certain value that once you know the area around it, that value will change. The same thing happens when we take Scripture out of context. You know, we, we overweight things or we underweight things or we make it say something that it doesn't say. It happens to us all the time in our culture. You know, you, it's, we, have, we live in a soundbite culture. They'll take a little soundbite of something someone has said and they don't give you the whole context. You don't get the whole conversation. So what is attributed to that person isn't what they actually said. I mean, th those words came out of their mouth, but that's not what they were saying. It happens all the time. Amen. And we, don't, we want to be careful about that in the Scripture. So all of that is just to say that context really matters. So then in framing that, we need to frame what Jesus is talking about when he says rewards. What is it, what is we talk, what are we talking about when he says rewards? Don't, don't seek to do your righteousness before others. To be seen by them, you have your reward. What you do in secret, your father sees in secret and he will reward you. So in all the examples that Jesus gives us, giving to the poor, praying, fasting, 
He says to be careful not to do it in order to be seen by others. He tells us to be careful of that because they have received their reward. Amen. Right? So what is the reward then? Being seen. That's the reward. They were seen by others. The reward they have received, they were seen by others. Now, it would be very tempting for, as a preacher, to just blow past that and, and to downplay that being seen by others as if it were no reward at all. Very tempting to do that. But Jesus chose to teach on this because this is not something that's easily dealt with in the human heart. He spent a good portion of, of the, the passage, this text of his sermon, the good, the good amount of time, I mean, chapter, the whole of chapter 6 just about, dealing with this thing right here. Amen. Treasure. It's not easy in the human heart. So it would be, be very tempting for me to say, oh, it's, there's no reward at all. Uh, you shouldn't want that because it's no reward at all to seek the praise of men. But that's really not the case. The truth is that we feel very rewarded when we are praised. We feel very rewarded when we are acknowledged and affirmed. It is very satisfying to us to be acknowledged and affirmed, for someone to pat us on the back and say, boy, you did good. It's very satisfying. That's the truth. And that's what Jesus is getting to the heart of. Because that, that satisfaction is addictive. The truth is we feel rewarded. We're very satisfied when we are seen. Don't practice righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. They have their reward. But the problem is it's a temporary satisfaction, isn't it? It's fleeting and fickle uh, satisfaction. But we do experience satisfaction when we're seen by others. And it's, it's intoxicating. We experience joy in the satisfaction because of the praises of others, the acknowledgement of man. Isn't that true? Doesn't it make you happy when people say, well done, you did so good? Everybody be like this guy. Boy, this guy, look at him. It makes you feel joy. Everybody feels happy about that. When people compliment us, we feel loved. When they compliment us, we feel welcomed. We feel accepted. And that satisfies us. The Bible says in Psalm 90 that uh, has something to say about satisfaction. The psalmist says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. So the point of the passage is, is a prayer that God would satisfy us with His steadfast love so that we can rejoice and be glad. But if we look at it and really, really take it apart and really examine it, we see that the satisfaction comes from love, right? God displaying love toward us, satisfy me with your steadfast love. And there's a point, there's a reason why we would want that satisfaction because satisfaction brings joy. He says, so that we may rejoice and be glad. There's joy in satisfaction and satisfaction comes from being loved. Our problem is that we confuse love and affirmation. We want affirmation and we think it's love. We want people to say yes, yes to us, and we think it's love. We equate it with love. 
The more people notice us, the more people say positive things about us, the more we think we will be satisfied. It's counterfeit. You know, for the longest time in my home, I, I was the cook until the pandemic happened and my wife discovered cooking. And, and she, you know, we never let you let her in the kitchen. Uh, she had, there was a strict rule about it. Um, but then the pandemic happened and she just decided one day, you know what, I'm going to learn to cook. So she, she does great. So anyway, before that, for all the years before that, I was the primary cook in the home. So I, I work it on, I prepare a meal, and I just do it like, like mama does it. You know, I don't measure anything. Just, you know, pop some things here and there and mix it all together. We're good. I don't do that. But um, you make a meal and you set it down in front of your family, and, you, you know, I want to hear, how was it? Did you like it? Well, and they used to make fun of me because I might ask him, is it okay? Do you like it? Is it okay? Do you like it? Is it two or three times. Do you like it? What do you think about it? Because I want to know, do you like the food that I, I made for you? And the more they praised the food, the better I felt. That's praise for me. Thank you, Dad, for making. Can you make this again sometime, Dad? Yes, I sure will. Why? Because I love that feeling. Amen. If I never got any praise or... or, or appreciation from them, if they never said thank you, if they just took it and left, you know, I, I wouldn't be as inclined to cook. And when I did cook, I wouldn't really care so much about what I put in it. <laughs> Here, take it and eat. The ungrateful person. The point is, there is a real reward in being seen by others. And it, is, it would be wrong of us. It would be derelict in our duty to the text to just skip past that. Jesus spent time on this Amen. because it is a condition of the heart that is toxic for us in our relationship with God. Amen. The problem is the rewards that we seek, this kind of reward is fleeting. That, that feeling, that satisfaction is only, that I got from cooking for my family is only as good as my next meal. Because right. I may decide to put broccoli in it and they might hate it. <laughs> my daughter will for sure because if it's green, she don't eat it. We failed her in that, in that regard. Um, but that's okay. Maybe she'll grow into it. But that, anyway, the, the, the reward, the satisfaction I feel is only as good as the next meal I make. Because very quickly they can say, well, Dad, he forgot how to cook. I can burn two or three dishes in a row because I got a new oven and it's not gas, it's electric. And I don't, I'm not real good with that range and I don't know how the times work and the temperatures work. And I might burn them, which I have done, and that's forgotten. No, I didn't forget. It's just I got different tools. Amen. But that satisfaction is fleeting because it's temporary. You know, and the things that bring you praise today from men... They bring you curses tomorrow. I mean, to prove my point, just look at all the, you know, in recent, recent years, the celebrities that have been canceled uh, for, you know, something to say, a joke they made 20 years ago. Which 20 years ago, everyone laughed at it and, and thought it was hilarious, and this guy got praise for what he said. Now, not so much. It's a whole different story. Now, what, what used to be praiseworthy, what used to be a source of satisfaction and joy has turned into sorrow. And heartache. So Jesus, he positions this reward that we receive from others, 
the being seen by others. He positions that, that satisfaction that we get from being seen by men over against the satisfaction that we receive, the reward we receive from being seen by God. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. He sees you. He sees you in secret and will reward you. So these are two very similar rewards, but they are vastly different. What a paradox. And how difficult it is in the human heart to deal with this. It's like the difference between a piece of firewood in your fireplace and the nuclear power plant a hundred miles away. They're both very useful. Both of them will give you warmth, but only one of them will warm you for the rest of your life. Only one of them can provide warmth for the whole city. Jesus means for us to be motivated and sustained by doing, in our doing righteousness, by seeking our satisfaction in God. God is satisfying. God is fulfilling. God is enough. What makes rewards different from God than from man? What, that's what, what makes them. Remember in the... In the psalm that we just read, Psalm 90, 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. It's not just any love. It's not just any affirmation. It's steadfast love. God's love is steadfast. If he's pleased by it today, he'll be pleased by it tomorrow. He'll be pleased by it in 20 years. He'll be pleased by it an eternity from now. There is no fickle uh, thing about God's affirmations of you. When you get his approval, guess what? You're proved. Amen. You're proved for that. When I'm justified in Christ, guess what? I'm justified. Right. I'm made right with God because of Christ. There, there's no changing of that. There's nothing fickle about that. His affections, the, the emotions that God has toward us are not fickle. They are sure and secure. His passion does not waver. Remember James 1.17 that we read earlier. There's a bit more to that verse. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Amen. No variation and no change. Hebrews 13.8 says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So then this affection, this affirmation, this satisfaction cannot be shaken. You know, Dad, uh, Casey, which is up here talking about Dad. That was, I mean, it's hard watching him go through what he went through. For 10 years, he suffered. A satisfaction that lies in, in the things that we do, that would never have gotten me through that. Amen. Jesus says, be careful about practicing your righteousness to be seen by men. And he frames it in terms of reward. So the question is, what do you treasure what do you treasure? Do the things that we do um, to be seen by men 
we, we shouldn't do them for that reason because then that's the only thing that we get. That's the only reward that we get as we're seen by men. Three times Jesus says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Then the very next thing that he says, look at verse 19. So he's talking about rewards, right? Practicing righteousness because here's the basis for your righteousness, for your practicing it, because your father who sees in secret rewards you. And then the very next verse, verse 19, he says, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but instead lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Rewards, treasures. See the connection? This is not a completely new thought, and we're, we're going to get into that next week in these next few verses, uh, or the next time that we, we're, we're together. It's not a completely new thought. It's not a new subject. Jesus is not bringing up something new when he says, don't lay up treasures in heaven. Amen. And it's often taught that way, like he's bringing up something new. This is a new, it's not. These are very connected, the rewards that we seek Amen. and our treasure in heaven. Seeking satisfaction and praises of men and the treasures that are, that are on earth, that's what they are. They're treasures on earth where they rot and they can be stolen. Amen. Amen. But seeking satisfaction in God, rewards in God, treasures in God, that cannot be corrupted or stolen. That is sure. There's a lot of text left to go through, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. But in verse 33, we see the whole point where, where all of this is heading. This whole, whole section of his sermon is heading to verse 33, where he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's a lot of meat left on the bones between verses 18 and verse 33. Jesus says a lot about anxiety in the meantime, a lot about trust in the Lord in the meantime. The point, though, is that we are to seek God first because He's the one that supplies and sustains and satisfies. It's a satisfaction that cannot be shaken. And I think about that, and I wonder how it is that people who do not know Christ and don't know that joy, don't know that satisfaction in Him, how is it that they make it? How do they get through the trials that this world throws at them? There's something unique about the Christian. That we can look in the face of adversity, we can look in the face of tragedy, whether it be an inconvenience or whether it be cancer, and say, God is still good. And have confidence and satisfaction in that. Yesterday at the men's breakfast, uh, Brother Dub, he drew our attention to the 23rd Psalm. And I thought it was so appropriate for the text that we're dealing with today. The 23rd Psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right off the bat, this is David talking The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is the language of satisfaction, isn't it? I'm satisfied. I don't want. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I am fully satisfied. And then the next statements are about how God satisfies. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. He restores my soul. God restores 
the soul. It's repaired. It's made new. It's rested and satisfied. I shall not want. He leads me in path of righteousness. Why? For His name's sake. Not mine. For His. That's what Jesus is telling us. Do things so that God be praised. Not that you be praised. Let God lead you in paths of righteousness. Don't practice your righteousness to be seen by others. Let God lead you in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And you'll be satisfied. Verse 4. We see a big contrast. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Boy, that doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? The valley of the shadow of death. It's not a very friendly place. There's death all around. Enemies are encamped all around. And yet David says, even though I'm in this dark place, I don't have any fear. Because you are with me. You satisfy me. That's what he's talking about. That's all that, that language of satisfaction that came before, that's what we have before verse 4, that's what we have afterwards. Before the valley of the shadow of death, we have that in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. How do you satisfy me? You make a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely, because it can't be shaken. It's a psalm of satisfaction in God. And the circumstances around David are dark, but his table is still spread before him. His cup still overflows. His joy is overflowed. His joy is overflowing and full. So what is the reward of satisfaction in God? And Jesus says, don't do your righteousness in front of others because when you do that, to be seen by them, you have your reward. Instead, do your righteousness in secret because your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What is the reward of, of that? I mean, we're seeking satisfaction. We're seeking to be seen by God. And what is the reward of being seen by God, being satisfied by Him? It's Psalm 23. Isn't it? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid. I can't be shaken. You're with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. It's that right there. So all else around you is crashing. When the ground under your feet is shaking, you are not shaken. You have the joy of satisfaction in God. Serious joy, solid joy, unshakable joy. And I'll be honest with you, like, like uh, Casey said, um, you know, I have to fight for it sometimes. Oftentimes, I've got to fight for it. And you may have to fight for your joy. There will be times when you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death and it feels like everything is dark around you. You have to encourage yourself in God. Amen. And oftentimes I have to go to my text. I've got to go to my scripture because that's my bedrock. That's what I stand on, right? I've got to go to the word of God and see what is it that he tells me about this. I have to remind myself of what is actually true. What is real. The word of God is real. 
The Word of God tells me that the flower withers, the grass withers and the flower fades, but this Word is forever. That's some pretty solid stuff. So I've got to go to, myself, go to the Word and remind myself of, of just what I have to be thankful for, to be satisfied in, to have joy in, in Christ. Though all around me shakes, so the world around me crumbles, and I feel like I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I have no reason to be afraid because God is with me. I have made Christ my Savior and my Lord, and that's all the reason to rejoice. There's satisfaction there. My strength is in being fully satisfied in Christ. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He is unshakable. Amen. Let's pray and then let's go eat. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the joy you have given us that you make available to us in our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ that you are sure and that everything you do for us is sure. We have no reason to doubt. We have no reason to be shaken because you cannot be shaken. Father, you have given us solid ground to stand on and I, I just I thank you for it that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we see, no matter how dark it may seem around us, when we seek to glorify you and we seek our satisfaction in you, we have no reason to be afraid. You have given us joy. And I thank you for it. Lord, I pray over our fellowship that we're about to go have. I pray that you bless the food that we, has been prepared for us and you bless the hands that have prepared it. Bless our fellowship. Let us love one another as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.